I get no kick from champagne. Mere alcohol doesn't thrill me at all. So tell me why should it be true that I get a belt out of you? No, no, not that. I was talking about a podcast. A real podcast. Something like the Review Podcast. Well, everyone, you can tell what movie we've already selected for Father's Day. The movie that binds the generations together. The thing that tells us what it means to be human. The funniest movie I've ever seen. Blazing Saddle. He rode a blazing saddle. He rode it straight and true. Fun fact about that opening theme, it was written in dead seriousness because all Mel Brooks sent the lyricist of it was just the title of the film, and he told him to play it straight. (laughs) God bless Mel Brooks. Actually, I should just quote, screw you, I'm working for Mel Brooks now. (laughs) We're going to try really hard to not make this 30 minutes of just quoting Blazing Saddles. But we could. It would be really funny. It would be really funny. Uh, Samuel actually knows that opening bit from Blazing Saddles so well because... There was actually, a, I don't know, it's called The Bones Gang or, or is a completely unrelated album. They, on the first track of this album, just ripped the audio of that scene from Blazing Saddles and played it through. And it ends on the part where the bumpkin is going, I'm in a song! A real song! Something like, and then it jumps into whatever the next track is. Yeah. But here's the hot tip. Put one copy of that track into every single one of your playlists so that as you're just going through, you get this brilliant little dose of comedy from Mel Brooks, and then you just jump into whatever your next song on your playlist is. Kind of the way you've sprinkled, I think, three copies of Mr. Burns's excellent into every <laughs> single one of your plot. Your... It applies in almost every situation in life. I mean, it's a universal film. It's no mistake that Grandpa Don, my father's father, passes this movie to him or sees this movie first with him. My father has shown it to my brother and I. It is arguably the foundation upon which all, I mean, every interracial buddy cop movie is founded. Yeah. It is a brilliant piece of satire, and it's still subversive and scary and edgy and powerful today. Which is my explanation for why this is true. In 2017, if you ask somebody the question that we often phrase here at the Review Podcast of, you know, of all of the movies that somebody's done, famous actor, famous director, of all of those, which one would you include in the canon? What's the one that really personifies what they were doing, it's the best example of their work, it, t- it stands the test of time. If you ask a hundred people on the street what's the one Mel Brooks movie to show, they would either say Spaceballs, because of the popularity of Star Wars, or they would say Young Frankenstein. You would get very few answers for Blazing Saddles, and I think that's because it's still too dangerous. It's so dangerous. It's unbelievably dangerous. From its incredible, strategic, powerful, scary use of the N-word, to the entire plot framework, how it just completely throws out any sort of logical or plot-based conclusion. It is so subversive and challenging that to this day, 
I will never get tired of reading the stories of all of these great Western actors who Mel Brooks tried to get to sign on and who ran scared, including John Wayne. They're <laughs> all scared of Blazing Saddles because they knew it represented something new, something dangerous, and something so funny it might not be challenged on that level again. So instead you get Slim Pickens. Show somebody better go back and get a shitload of dimes. <laughs> there's just there's no end to it. There, it's it's. I didn't know your grandmother was Dutch. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so the reason. So in, in 2017, we literally still have people like Bill Maher on TV getting in trouble for using the N word. Uh, it's still a highly charged discussion in our culture. The reason Mel Brooks gets to say it is it's a very dynamic time. We've gone through the civil rights movement of the 60s, so a lot of things seem open, but the door's open, and who's going to go through it and in what way, right? So in 1974, when Blazing Saddles comes out, and I see this movie with my dad, but we'll get back to the fatherhood thing in a minute, you know, you've got the black exploitation films starting, so that's a case where now African Americans get to make movies for themselves, starring themselves, and that's a big deal, but they still don't have that Hollywood money. And Mel, at this point in his career, he gets to have Hollywood money. He's had a couple of hits, he's had a couple of movies that didn't do so well, and as you uh, read interviews with him about this movie, this was kind of the make or break for him. Mm -hmm. And the reason he gets to use the N-word and be so upfront about racial, cultural issues is because this movie is written by Richard Pryor. Mm -hmm. And Richard Pryor wants to be the Black Bart character. He wants to be the character who becomes the sheriff in the small town that ends up being played by Cleavon Little. I actually think Cleavon is perfect for this because mm -hmm. he has kind of that Nat King Cole vibe, like he's not as threatening as Richard Pryor was. So we can get through some of this threatening storytelling with a very smooth, um, charismatic guy that you can believe would be able to sweet talk his way through all of this racism. So it's no mistake that that opening scene is him literally singing... Nat King Cole style. Well, in in my mind as a millennial, I watch this film and and all I can think of is our last president, President Obama. I yeah, see Cleavon Little's character of Black Bart. Uh, the similarities are are astounding in my mind yep. in that he is so incredibly intelligent and he is surrounded by a society that A does not want to recognize that and B probably can't recognize it yeah because they're all really dumb and he's just like <laughs> which mel brooks tells you in the movie i mean you are so smart and they are so dumb like he's <laughs> he is this kind of smooth operator there's not much that really gets him too flustered in, in the um, whole movie nothing flusters him no i mean the defeat doesn't fluster him uh, the only thing where he kind of gets scared, and even then he's kind of winking at you, is the quicksand thing. Yeah, and even then, yeah. it's kind of like a, isn't this zany? I've been caught in quicksand. Isn't yeah. that crazy? Well, like, in that case, uh, Mel Brooks is literally making the case, and he uses the the Bugs Bunny music to seal the image of Cleavon Little being like a Bugs Bunny, right? Yeah. Uh, somebody who's upsetting the natural order, but he's so charming and funny that he gets away with it. Mm -hmm. He is literally Bugs Bunny. And Brooks is making incredibly subversive and powerful humor with his his equivalence to, to uh, in that same scene, he talks about, he shows 
um, they're pulling the mine cart out of the quicksand, yep, and yep. you know the 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 overseer, the conductor, just goes, oh, "We almost lost the mine cart," and there are two people who are still potentially yeah. dying from quicksand, yeah, but yeah. because they're black, yeah, he's he's not concerned about it, and like that is a line, the very best comedy in my mind will make you laugh, and then make you think. Well, yeah. and that's what I tell kids when I'm doing my uh, school talks about history and the cartooning that I do. You know, the best, easiest way to explain to a fourth grader in 2017 about what was slavery, well, it was uh, people owning other people and considering them as a piece of property like an axe or a wagon. Yep. So there's Mel Brooks in the movie literally making that point, a, a highly charged piece of education about these two people who were about to drown in the quicksand are less worth than the cart. Yep. In the eyes of white society, they are yeah. worth less. Yeah. And like that, that's like in the first five minutes. Yeah. Like. I mean, so that's what I love about this movie is Mel just starts, right? There's no easing you into this. You're not going to get like a we, gentle build up. No, no. We're, we're <laughs> off and running. And the movie doesn't stop. It doesn't let up. You know, some movies, especially in the modern era, you'll see where they had a great idea and like the first two thirds of the movie is great. And then they don't know how to end it. There are a lot of movies with third act problems. Oh, so you mean a romantic comedy? <laughs> right. Like it's it's he, there's no one who's there's no stone left unturned, including and this is the mark of a truly confident director, writer, comedian, whatever you want to name as his primary occupation. No one is excluded from this mockery, including Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks casts himself as the bumbling idiot mayor yeah. of this tiny podunk western town, who's just carousing and drinking all day who knows nothing white privilege who's i mean he's just knocking back schnoz and and just going i didn't hear a harumph out of you you better watch your ass like <laughs> you know he's making this big commentary i mean he goes after hollywood yeah the hand that feeds yeah no it's and he great. bites it's, down on dude it. it's it's a jailbreak this whole movie is a jailbreak which is why if you listen to our podcast you would know that it's our favorite mel brooks oh hands down and so let's make this point because if you're still listening to us, you need an answer as to why we think this is better than Young Frankenstein or Spaceballs. Uh, for me, Young Frankenstein is a very interesting effort by Mel. It's something that deserves a review. I mm -hmm. would encourage you to do it because at this point, a lot of people you know, know and they know to say that it's their favorite movie. But if you go back and watch Young Frankenstein start to finish, there are a few funny bits. But it is not a jailbreak like Blazing Saddles is. Blazing Saddles is, is near anarchy in, in the same way a Bugs Bunny cartoon is anarchy. Um, but Young Frankenstein, it seems like Mel is actually trying to make a 1930s Hollywood monster picture. It's very slow. It's filmed in a way that it could fit with the original Frankenstein or Dracula or Wolfman movies. And so that's nice. It's interesting from a technical standpoint. But the funny stuff that you remember... There's not a lot of other funny stuff. It's really a pretty slow movie. Yeah. And, and like, for me, Spaceballs is... There's certainly plenty of, of good funny bits in Spaceballs, but it requires outside knowledge. It really mm. requires... like, And it's not just Star Wars. Like, it, it's really going after the science fiction boom of the late 70s, early 80s. Yep. And, you know, as funny as it is to me as a nerd to see John Hurt in the cantina have a chestburster come out of him and go, oh, not again. 
that's kind of an easy laugh if you know that these folks know this stuff. And even then, it's an easy laugh to a very narrow audience. And in my mind, Blazing Saddles, if you put on, if you were to say, okay, tonight we are showing Wonder Woman, or tonight we're showing Cars 3, which just came out. It's Father's Day, everyone. That's why we're doing this podcast. And <laughs> you instead put on Blazing Saddles, you might still get a riot in yeah. 2017. Oh, yeah. That's Awesome. So that's the difference is, uh, I think in Young Frankenstein, Mel had something he really wanted to try as a filmmaker. And good for him. He did it. It's technically beautiful. It's, it is it is an interesting movie. I just don't feel like watching it again. And then in Spaceballs and some of his other stuff, like the Robin Hood movie, you can tell he's just sort of throwing everything at the wall, but he doesn't really care. He doesn't have a thesis. There's no thesis. In Blazing Saddles, all of the stuff thrown against the wall and tossed around like crazy is to a point. Mm -hmm. He's talking, he's making social satire that you can tell he believes in. Mm -hmm. It's just so potent. It's so powerful. It's still... Required viewing to understanding race relations in America. Oh, absolutely. Like I, I hesitate to make this comparison, but I do think of them in the same breath. Blazing Saddles, do the right thing. Like oh, you gotta. That's interesting. That's a double feature in my huh. mind. I wonder. If, One is the I wonder serious, if Spike Lee would like that. No, I don't care what Spike <laughs> Lee wants at this point. He's not on this podcast. The further Spike goes into like making career mode for NBA Two K Sixteen, which by the way, that's a real thing. He what? made the story. Did you not hear about this? No. Folks, we might need to pause. He made the story mode for NBA 2K16, the basketball oh, video game. I know. It's called Livin' the Dream, a Spike oh, Lee joint. Goodness. And it's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like it anyway, the point is this. Uh, this is a powerful, subversive film. Young Frankenstein, while it has some good laughs and is kind of technically brilliant. It's not on this level. Spaceballs is funny, but requires a prior outside knowledge, which to and, me... And it's just a collection of jokes. It's like Samuel says, it's not a thesis, it's not much of a story. It doesn't have any character. It doesn't have any character. Like, Black Bart is a character. Oh, you yeah. can take him and put him in other scenarios, and he's just as interesting because mm -hmm. he's a fully-fledged mm -hmm. human being. You know, yeah. uh, you know uh, the kid. You know, the kid is a, is a fully-fledged human being. You know, yeah. like... <laughs> you know, just his whole... His opening monologue of... One day, I turned around, he said, draw, and it was a child. Little bastard shot me right in the ass. Like, <laughs> that is incredible. That's incredible. I, I don't think, you know, the writing can be eclipsed. It's really tough to, to break through that, and uh, I, I, I want to go watch it right now. Like, it's, <laughs> it's so good. So, I'm not sure why my father thought this was appropriate to take me to. You know why Don Boy thought this was appropriate, boy? He, well, he loved Jeez! <laughs> so he loved movies, and somehow he broke us out of the house. I was the oldest child. So when this movie comes along, you know, I am seven years old, right? Maybe eight. And he takes us uh, downtown to, like, the second-run theater where all the college students go and smuggle in beer. Yep. And... We watched this movie, um, and, you know, I'm just a little kid. I have no idea what's going on, but he laughed his head off. And I, there was enough in there, because it sort of had this Bugs Bunny vibe. You know, there's plenty of physical humor, and, you know, we came from a household. I, had, I didn't hear the N-word spoken. It wasn't a part of my world, so I didn't get a lot of that stuff. But because it was something that made my father so happy, it was something that I 
wanted to understand better. And so we would watch it again and again over the years. It was about the same time that he was taking me to the Pink Panther movies with Peter Sellers. So all of this stuff that had uh, some nice layering to it, you know, the same way that today's uh, cartoon movies do, where kids will appreciate certain simple things like the action and some of the broader humor, but there are also things going on for the adults. And that's the way I still see Blazing Saddles. So when I was sharing important movies with my sons, you know, I hate to, this is going to break my liberal um, bona fides, but uh, I tried to show them Roots because that was also another watershed moment in American culture. And I went out and I bought, you know, the 1977 miniseries. And we only got through episode one. I think seeing OJ run through an African village just was like, okay, I don't know if we're going to keep doing this. We just, we petered out after the first episode of Roots. So I failed. But... I did show you Blazing Saddles. You did show me Blazing Saddles. Like, in case anyone wants a point of reference for my Grandpa Don, Bentley's father, uh, Rip Torn. Rip yeah, Torn. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, 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 Grandpa Don, Rip Torn, they, they can't meet because the universe would, like, fold in on itself if That's they ever had. I'm not sure I ever heard you say that. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Him, Rip Torn, I mean, you know, it's... I can see, I can picture in my head you and Grandpa Don and the college students in some second-run theater, the college students are drinking beer, your father is laughing uproariously, and you are eight years old, your hair probably still has the same color as mine, yeah. um, but I don't know, maybe you're already going gray by that point. Yeah. Do you already have the glasses by that point? That's no, what I'm missing. don't have the glasses. That's the mental part I'm missing. <laughs> and like... I can just see like your mind in real time expanding with this, as my mind did when you showed it to me. How old was I when you showed it to me? Oh, was I 14, I don't, 15? You must have been a little older. I was older. You I was older. absolutely older. So this to me is why... Well, you wouldn't let me watch Empire Strikes Back until I was like eight. All right, let's not get into that. Although it you is... You come here! No! It is Father's Day. But <laughs> that, so when we talk about the canon, you know, I hope we don't get too academic. Uh, but this is... <laughs> I'm sorry, what? On this podcast? <laughs> this is where it really becomes personal. That when I hand something to my children, it's because it meant something to me, because I think it's of real value. Of course, I don't expect them to like everything that I do. But it's a big part of being a parent, I think. Sharing your values and the way those are expressed. So the way it got handed to me... You know, when you're a kid, you listen to what your parents want you to do. You know, don't do this, do this. But if you're awake, you're also paying attention to what they like themselves, right? Like that when you start to figure out your parents are real people, you know, that they're not just giving you food. And so when I was seven and eight years old, I was old enough to start to figure that out. Like, what does my dad actually, what makes him happy? Because what makes him happy is going to be important to me. When I heard him cry... At one point when I was in high school, it was one of the saddest moments of my life because he just didn't cry. But when I heard him laugh at Blazing Saddles, it made me very, very happy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and these questions and these, well, they're not questions. They're not debates. Like these, For some reason, we seem to be having some discussion in our culture about the value of a black life. And that's really yeah. disconcerting to me as somebody of Polish-Jewish heritage because like... Yeah. It's it's just it just is and it's like yeah. 
So I actually think this is what makes me want to talk about this in terms of the canon. I think Blazing Saddles is more important than ever because I have literally seen that the phrase black lives, those two words just expressed together now because of the discussion we've had politically mm -hmm. and socially for the last two, three years, those two words just put together, black lives, now suddenly you're in trouble and it's polarizing, right? I've seen those two words used and people then stop listening just because somebody said black lives, blah, 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 blah. So that's incredible, right? That we've gotten to a point where the language is so polarizing that just two or three words strung together drives us apart. Well, Blazing Saddles smashes through that. We need that movie now more than ever. It should be airdropped into schools across America. <laughs> the younger, the better, I say. If you're not getting five-year-olds watching this in kindergarten, we have failed as educators. We failed as parents. Heck, preschoolers need to watch this movie. Throw Barney out and put in Cleavon Little. Yeah, this country would be in a better place. It would be. Really. God bless. Uh, what's your favorite part of Blazing Saddles? I think my favorite part of Blazing Saddles is probably... It probably is the you're so smart and you are so dumb. they're so dumb. That entire standoff. Where <laughs> yeah. You can see it's the culmination of the first act, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all the pieces have been put in place for this incredibly charged confrontation between Black Bart, the new sheriff, yeah. and these yokel idiots, as, as the kid will later call them, you know, morons. And they immediately, like, the look on every single character's face as they stand around this incredible banner that they've unveiled to welcome the new sheriff, as they have this proclamation, they're ready to read, and they look and they see his skin color. And every single one of them has some variation on mouth open, eyes wide, yeah. horror. Yeah. And the fact that he talks his way out of that, and he doesn't even talk about it with them. It's a monologue yeah, with yeah. himself. He talks himself out of that confrontation yeah, yeah. by pretending to hold himself hostage. I've, there's never been a moment on film like that. I don't think there ever will be again yeah, well, because that, you believe it completely. There, so the, I do hear people say that you can't make a movie like Blazing Saddles now, right? That, that scenes like that, right, with the violence and the way uh, just being black terrifies people, right? That gets you back to Trayvon Martin. It gets you to all of these conflicts that where the cops say that they're justified in shooting unarmed people because they were scared of them. This movie is so vital in 2017, and yet there is some kind of broad agreement that I read that you couldn't make it today because we're so polarized and so scared of having this discussion. That's why it's got to be shown. Yeah. Because Mel got it made, and it stood the test of time, and it's more vital than ever. Like, it's, it's nuts. Like, the, the, I don't really put a lot of stock in the columnists who are like, oh, it could never be made today. Because it's like, uh, Mel did it. Like, get, get on with it. Like, it's, it's so... Get Out did do very well this yeah, year. I, I have think, not seen it yet. I, I think Get Out it. is probably... But it's not a comedy, is it? No, 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 no. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, very much a horror. I mean, yeah. it's bodily horror. It's really tough stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, like, and I think that is probably the modern equivalent. And I think, you know, it needs to be given its just due. Uh, Get Out does. Mm -hmm. But, like, it's so crazy. It's just so crazy. And, and it forms the foundation of, of my argument that, you know, just because, you know, your director is white 
or male or or something something that is opposite of what the presented uh, main character is or the general thrust of the film like are we not allowed to have empathy anymore are we not allowed to yeah. like like Brooks is not even though he's got Richard Pryor writing it Brooks is not a black person Brooks right. has not really struggled he's he's a he's a he, he does play an Indian chief in the movie, though. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> you know, what? They're even smarter than we are. Like, okay, so maybe Mel isn't perfect. But <laughs> the point is this. There is never... I know what my brother's favorite scene of this movie is. <laughs> I know what Truman's favorite scene of this movie where is. Where do white women at? No, where do white women at? <laughs> there Never again in filmmaking history will anyone have the cojones <laughs> to have Cleavon Little pop out from behind a rock, look two Ku Klux Klansmen in the eyes, and goes, "And you where the white women at?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> are you kidding? So, are you kidding? Okay, so what my father understood. My father. And now for my next impression, Jesse Owens. <laughs> <laughs> I love that joke. Oh, oh my god! The historian Buckeye in me loves the Jesse Owens reference. But so what we <laughs> what Mel understood and Richard Pryor understood and so many others understood, uh, like George Carlin and my father understood. My father was a PhD level art history uh, and studio artist. He taught thousands of young people in his career as a college educator. But he understood how powerful humor was. And Mel understands that. Cleavon understands it. Richard Pryor understands it. Uh, you know, Chris Rock understands it. And that's what I was taught. That a lot of difficult topics in America you can talk about through humor. And I think Blazing Saddles proves it. Is that why Grandpa Don wore those shorts he wore? <laughs> Often in this first year of doing this podcast, I have thought how much fun it would be to have Grandpa Don doing this with us, because yeah. when I and Samuel and my father got together, you think this is a jailbreak. It was just crazy. I think there is no more pure distillation of anarchy outside of the Beastie Boys in 1986 <laughs> than you, me, Grandpa Don and my brother piled into that black pickup truck he had, yeah. which was always on the verge of exploding. Yeah, breaking down. Yeah, and listening to Mojo Nixon. Yeah, I don't think that was good. There's ever been a more pure <laughs> form of anarchy I've never seen. That's my actual strongest memory of Grandpa Don Happy, is yeah. I think us driving to the bowling alley to Mojo Nixon. Yeah, yeah. Um, because a lot there's unfortunately. There's this sweet spot where I'm old enough to appreciate Grandpa Don and, and what he does and who he is. Because he's very difficult to understand from like 1 to like 10. <laughs> or if you just saw him in one setting. If you just got like an hour alone with him, you wouldn't understand. No. You'd think he was crazy. Yeah, and, and as I got older, unfortunately, he started to begin to deteriorate. So there's only this very... Hmm. specific branch of time where I feel like, okay, this is my this is my father's father. Yeah. This is yeah. who he was, who yeah. he is. And so I got a much longer view of him, obviously, and so what I am able to do is distill 
the best of that and hand it to my sons. And yeah. so for me, Blazing Saddles uh, was part of that. So, What's your favorite part of Blazing Saddles? You ask me. It was watching it with my father well, in, no, I meant scene the in the college film. theater. You told me that. I heard that. <laughs> I heard that. All of it is my favorite. <laughs> Dad. Cop out. Cop out. No, Let's... no, no. Well, wee-oo, listen. Wee-oo, well, look. The cop outs are coming. Wee. When I was a little kid watching it the first time with my dad, it was the scene in the campsite where they're farting all the beans. But that's high art. You should be proud of that. <laughs> New York City! Like, it, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's dangerous. It's so funny, you might feel something rupture. Yeah. It is... And it so could not be made again. It could not couldn't be, be made, made again. again today because people are pansies. Listen, folks, you're going to get... <laughs> When you break through the walls, you're going to get a lot farther down the road. So I, I know some things seem chaotic. Embrace the chaos. We're in America. Don't give in to wanting four walls around you. Don't worry about security. We're about freedom. And thank God Mel Brooks had the freedom to make this movie. You want to give him the on beyond Z rant? Because that's not going to, that can't fit in a whole podcast. Oh, no, I'm not going to talk about that. Oh, whatever. Anyway, this dude hates all the places you'll go and loves on Beyond Z because he is a discerning Dr. Seuss connoisseur. Which will be another podcast. But this one's for you, Donald E. Boyd. This one's for you, Grandpa Don. We love you. We miss you. He rode a blazing saddle. He rode it straight and true. This has been the Re-View Podcast. Podcast.